0: You're listening to a C3 Victory podcast. To find out more, visit us online at at, uh, c3victory.org.au. I drove in this morning, looked at the construction going on out there and thought, look what they're doing for us. How good is that? All these new buildings are going up. So, you know, for children's ministry, uh, maybe even another, as you grow, another service going on at the same time in another building. How would that be? How good is that? Just for a little bit of inconvenience, look what we're going to get. So, that's awesome, isn't it? It's incredible. Just think, if you're in Sydney, you'd go have to park two blocks away and pay $65 for it. And it's all free here to walk in the fresh cold and God show you something you're going to get today. How good is God? Awesome, isn't it? Sweet. Hey, I want to say thanks to Pastor Nate and Pastor Beck last week. We were over at uh, Northwest for opening this series. Uh, Nate said to me in the office, he goes, oh gosh, you should have done that. I really wrestled with that. That challenged me, I think, more than others. And I like that about him. And Beck said the same thing over there. It is a challenging uh, theme to be talking about. And he said, you've got the revelation on that. Well, I'm glad you did it because it meant you had to find revelation on it. There you go, they just put you under the spotlight, hello, light's going on for you there. But you know what it does? It causes us to take time and just sit back, turn the switch on, off, rest, reflect. And, and you know, it's kind of ironic, me of all people standing up here talking about that. I am just so good at resting, I am so good at sitting still and doing nothing. Um, even doing nothing to me is, is just abhorrent. And it, I'm the world's worst at this thing of practicing rest. And I said to the staff on the, last week, if I preach this and practice this, there is integrity. But if I preach this and I'm struggling with this, there's honesty. And I, I'm honest with you. This is not the easiest thing for me. It, it's like You know, when when I I had my sabbatical, I had all these plans. I'm gonna travel, I'm going to the gym every day, I'm gonna ride the motorcycle to places I've never been. And it's like God put his hand on me and just that heaviness of God sat on me in my Jason, and it's almost like I just couldn't get up and go. It's like God saying, sit still. I've been trying to get you to be still for, you know, fifty something years. They said when I was a child, I didn't let anybody rock me. So don't don't try to hug me and rock me. You'll get in trouble. Ask my mother. She said I would sit by myself and rock myself. I remember one night we were first married and this is not dirty. It's okay. We were first married and Janet leant over to give me a kiss. What she didn't know was if I go to bed and I'm not sleepy yet, my body will move until it falls asleep. And she went to give me a kiss and bang, I hit her right in the face with my head. I am the world's worst at resting. But you know what it means? We're on a journey together to discover all that God has for us in this truth about Sabbath rest. Because there is a truth in this thing. And we were talking at staff the other day trying to remember, when did we do this? Because I remember doing this before. You remember? I went back through my notes. I do keep the notes. Unless before the cloud, everything crashed and we lost it. Uh, Thank God for the cloud. Maybe. Anyway, 2006, we had a month of rest. And I got to thinking, how did that come about? That's 12 years ago. How did that come about? It's because I remember at staff meeting, and I don't know who some bright spark, it might even have been me, said, we don't have a theme for this month. It's winter, it's cold. Why don't we do a month of rest? That sounds like a good topic. That was it. Nothing changed. Meetings went on. Life went on. Exhaustion happened. And people didn't rest. So we gave it up for a number of years until a few years ago, another bright, spark in staff said, hey, you remember when we did month of rest? I went, oh, crap, here we go. Sorry for the language, but anyway. And I said, yeah, yeah, I remember. You guys are just looking for time off. They said, no, no, no. I think God wants to do something in it in this new season with new wine. All right, let's do it again. And so we started again. Even then, talking about rest... And Sabbath and all that stuff. By the way, can I get this out of your head right now? I'm not saying we're going to stop life every Saturday. We're not all of a sudden, all of a sudden becoming uh, seventh-day Pentecostals. Okay, forget that. Right, get it out of your head. The Sabbath is far more than a day. You'll get there in a second. I'll get you there. Stay with me. So we, we, we ventured down this track. I think it was last year we started again, and we came to this year. Then all of a sudden, because we are ready and we are willing, God started opening the curtain, saying, let me let you look in to see revelation around Sabbath, to see why I gave this to you in the first place. And all of a sudden, we start getting revelation. And as we're doing this, there are several things that we know Truth that we know about this thing, number one, we're not doing this just because it's winter and we need a month off and we're going to be slack at work. I'll say this up front, I am not against working hard, neither is God. If you think He's not, read what He said in Proverbs about the ant and the sluggard. But what God is against is working hard to find out who we are and our significance. So. We're not doing this just to get off work. It's, it's in the rhythm of life God is trying to show us that rest is necessary. I like what Pastor Beck said last week at Northwest. She said this. I'm good at, she, she confessed, I'm good at teaching my kids how to have a good work ethic. I'm not so good at teaching them how to have a good rest ethic. Don't just teach good work ethic, teach a good rest ethic. Think about that. Because what happens, most of us, our rhythm of life looks something like this. Let's put this up. So it's almost like all year long we go, work, 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 exhaustion, holidays. And we go on holidays exhausted and just when we're recovering, work, 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 work. And we work our freckle off just to get to a holiday. Only to be exhausted and not even have the benefits from it that God intended. And yet God has a design with a rhythm of life weekly that should look more like this. Sabbath. Work for about six days. Sabbath. Work for about six days. Sabbath. Build the rhythm of rest in your routine weekly. Because when you do that, then you are more fruitful and you enjoy life much better. But you see, so many of us were brought up and bought into this what, we, what is called the Protestant work ethic. You heard of that? Okay. Leonard Sweet said about it in his book. Many of us bought into a form of the Protestant work ethic that taught us the harder we work and the more successful we become, the more God is pleased and the more we feel the assurance of our salvation. Mm. It wasn't at the cross... That the father said, this is my son whom I'm well pleased with. It was at the beginning, at his baptism, before we know anything was ever recorded that he did. This is my son. I know what he's about to enter into and it's not easy. But I want you to know I'm well pleased with him. I love him. Because see, here's the deal. I'm kind of thinking through the week. There's something to be released here on the freedom issue. Something deep within us. The focus on Sabbath rest is going to release us from the need of being defined by what we do, how hard we do it, or how successful we are at it. Just the other day, phone call. Guy I never talked to him in my life. He's trying to sell me something, as they do. Um, because he got through Janet to me. I, I normally Meh, hang him up as soon as you get that pregnant pause. Hello, pregnant pause, Meh, hang up. Anyway, it's a a hotel group we're a part of, and he's talking about what kind of holidays do you like? And I thought, none. You're selling to the wrong person here. You're like trying to sell coal to the devil. Stop. And he's on and on and on. He's going on about how good this is and how great that hotel is. And I said, listen, I don't buy anything sight unseen. I I think the worst television program that's about to occur is the people who buy homes unseen. Have you seen that advertised? How stupid. Who would do that? Only the people who get it bought for them, and then they can choose whether they keep it or not, right? Anyway, he's on and on and on, and eventually he gets to the question, so what do you do? I thought, you don't even know me, and you're asking that question. Why didn't you ask me, who are you? You see, it's not familiar in society, is it? Because we are so defined and and the voices in the world keep screaming at us and telling us our significance is found through our achievements or our status. And all of a sudden, I mean, it's like you can't even walk into a green room at a Christian conference without somebody asking you, what do you do and how big is it? And if we stop for a minute and we listen, you know what you're going to hear? You're going to hear God affirming us and telling us the value of who we are not what we do you know it doesn't matter how much I do how big my ministry gets how many people get this or that out of my ministry in the end it is so small compared to what God can do I'm just a very little small piece in a great big puzzle I'm I'm a thread in a tapestry that's huge and so God doesn't say you know I love the fact that you're that color thread no he says I love the fact that you're even in the tapestry that you're my son So here's another truth that we know during this time. We're not doing this. Now hear this because I know some of you are gonna go away and go, Pastor Keith's trying to get us to become Sabbath people. Stop it! I didn't say that. Don't quote, you can quote me on this. I did not say we're going to keep a Sabbath day. Got it? Okay. So here's the deal we're not gonna do this to enforce a religious law. The legalists among us are probably sitting there going, great. He's finally telling us you can't do anything on Sunday. Who said Sunday's a Sabbath? I work all day Sunday. Starts about five o'clock in the morning. It's not fair. You get off. Shut up, Jim. (laughs) You don't work at all anymore. No, No, that's true. And I've got the highest hourly pay. Right. I got it. But here's the deal. In no way, shape, or form do we want to send a message that causes you to believe that God's going to accept you or reject you on how you treat the Sabbath. Janet grew up with this legalistic religion, and I won't say which denomination it was, but no, you can't go swimming on Sunday, it's the Sabbath, because if you drown, that'll be God punishing me for allowing you to swim on the Sabbath. That's what was drilled into her as a child. We're not going there. That's legalism. I like what Peter Scazzero said in The Emotionally Healthy Leader, legalism can be defined as relying on our own obedience to gain acceptance from God. You can even do that with your devotions. Do you do devotions because you love God and you want to talk to Him, or because if I don't do my 30 minutes, I'm not going to have a good day? Whoa, let that give you a little bit of revelation. So what if you get up in the morning and you miss it? So what if you don't read your daily bread before you go to work? So what? You should be talking to him all day anyway. He's dad. He's there. He wants to know about you. Anyway, keep going. Another truth, I'm just getting through this because I want to get to the revelation. Another truth we want to reiterate, and this is the point, is that there is a good, godly reason to practice Sabbath. That's my point. And see, while resting from our normal work, uh, it, it's necessary to refresh us, You know, to, to regain strength. A good practice of the Sabbath is more than just doing nothing, than just refreshing and resting. It, it, there's a revelation about this, and, and I really think if we get it, God's going to shift some things that's going to bring a freedom like we've not experienced. And it's simple, so stay with me. I'm from Alabama. It's simple. Here it is. The revelation is this the Sabbath was made for us. Simple. In the message version of Mark 2, Jesus said, the Sabbath was made to serve us. We weren't made to serve the Sabbath. Period. You know, that's not a big revelation. Stay with me. I was reading in Mark chapter 2, if you've got your Bible and you like using, as Simeon says, the analog version, you can get it out. Turn to Mark chapter 2. I was reading in Mark chapter 2 where Jesus spoke about this. Now, the context is, three times leading up to this day, the Pharisees are having a go at Jesus. What do you mean you don't fast anymore? And your guys don't fast. We do. Our followers do. John's followers fast. Why in the world did you talk about that? Why in the world? And he talks three different things. They're having a go at Jesus. It's about you're not fasting. You healed a crippled man on the Sabbath. And Jesus said, was it better to do evil or good on the Sabbath? You guys will go get a donkey out of a ditch. Why can't I heal a crippled man? And so three times it's like... He, he heals a man on the Sabbath, and, and they don't fast, and then, he, of all things, He goes and eats with sinners. They criticize, criticize, criticize. R- religious people are full of criticism. I'm talking about legalistic religious people. They always want to find the fault in what we do or don't do, and it's when you get to this in Mark chapter 2, verse 23, Jesus gives this revelation, the Sabbath was made for you he's talking about this is a gift from your father it's a good gift and if it is a good gift, which it is it will bring about good in our lives and it does, this is the revelation that's going to free us and switch things in us it's not that I have to do this and it's not because the church puts it in the calendar it's that God has given this to me as a gift and as I exercise it and live it nothing but good is going to come out of it it's not golly, I can't go kick a footy now because it's Saturday, who said you couldn't kick a footy? I don't know about you but resting for me, a, a good portion of resting for me has gone on a great walk, just walking, just shutting the world off and getting alone with God and walking. And, and, and To me, that's, that's part of my time with God, it's a gift from God and, and the question that immediately came to mind is this, when did God take away this gift and its benefits? When did God say, you no longer need this gift, so I'm withdrawing it from you? You know, that's akin to the people saying you don't need tongues anymore because you got the Bible. Where did He say that? So, where did He say you don't need Sabbath rest? Because you've got something else? Maybe you got how to work hard? <laughs> Whatever. So, Mark chapter 2, verse 23, here's one of these situations. You're going to find Jesus adjusting people's understanding and revelation of the Sabbath. So in verse 23, it says, Now it happened that when he went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and as they, went through, as they went, his disciples began to pluck the heads of grain, and the Pharisees said to him, Look, why do they do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Pause. I want you to think about this picture for a moment. These guys three times have already been at Jesus, why don't you do this, why don't you do that, why are your followers not washing their hands? All oh, this tick, 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 tick. rules, 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 and they're not keeping the rules. And Jesus and his disciples are walking around the edge of the town and around the edge of a grain field because at a grain field, the farmers know that by God's commandment, you leave the grain around the edges for gleaning of people who need it. It's just the way they help people. And so here's Jesus and the boys walking along, and they just, yeah, we're a little bit hungry. Take a handful, get it in their hand, rub it so that the husks come off the seed, pop the seed in the mouth, and, hmm, man, that's good. That'll keep us till we get home. And all of a sudden the Pharisees, religious, they go at them. You're breaking the law. Now my question is this. What's wrong with this picture? I'll tell you what's wrong with the picture. While for them it was wrong to work on the Sabbath, it was fine to eat on the Sabbath. So they're telling them they shouldn't be eating. You're not allowed to do that. Go without. And if they were working as the, as the Pharisees accused them of, hey, they rubbed the grain in their hands. You know what they interpreted that as? You're reaping. What? Well, the Old Testament says reaping has to do with a sickle and a hole and animals and storage. We're just taking a handful. That's like you going to the cupboard and taking a handful of nuts and popping them in your mouth. What's wrong with that? And some legalist comes along and says, you just walk 10 steps to the cupboard. That's one step too many. And that's more important than your hunger. And this is what's wrong with the picture. It's their interpretation of what God said the Sabbath was about, and they have broken the law. Do you know in Deuteronomy 23, 25, it actually says that you can, you can take the grain from the field of your neighbor's field, and you can eat it. That's part of God's provision. Jesus is just using God's provision and tells us it's okay to pick it. It's called gleaning. So what's wrong with this picture? They're getting accused of something. What? Their application and interpretation of what rest means. Got it? Like, can't swim on Sunday. You'll drown. God will drown you so he can punish me. How ridiculous is that thought? It's not only ridiculous. I'll say this with the utmost respect because I didn't know any better. Not the person, but the thought is demonic. I can't say anything nicer about it. It's putting God into a, into a light that is evil. God tempts no man with evil, James said. Anyway, let's keep going. Why, what's wrong with this picture? Think about it for a minute. What are the Pharisees doing out in the field? You ever thought about that? By their interpretation of the law, not what God said, by their interpretation of the law, and by the way, they had 39 regulations and most of them had to do with reaping. 39 regulations, not out of the Bible, that the Pharisees and scribes wrote up, and out of every regulation there was multiple tiers of, don't do this, don't do that. And some of them were ridiculous, like one of them was about things to do with cleaning your teeth. How ridiculous is that? Yeah, just have bad breath all day. Anyway, the deal is this, they are breaking one of their own regulations by walking out to and through a grain field, because their regulation says... You you can't work on the Sabbath, therefore you cannot walk even a kilometer the whole day. Because if you do, you've broken the law. That's not what God said, that's what they said. So here's a question, here's what's wrong with the picture. Why are they out walking that far? You ever thought that? We know by the Gospels that Jesus said, these are men who bend the rules, their own rules, to suit them. And put the burdens on others to burden them. They strain at gnats, and they swallow camels. I mean, that's a a pretty horrible picture. And you go, what are they doing? They're breaking their own rules. Why do they think it was okay to break their rules? Think about it for a minute. They've just had three run-ins with Jesus. They're trying to catch him out. They're trying to disprove him. They're upset because he's, he's, he's stirring up the religious waters around them to say, this is not really how you relate to God, could it be that they're stalking Jesus so that they can try to incriminate him? Well, if you keep reading and you read into chapter 3 and he heals a man on the Sabbath and says, is it better to do evil or good? You, You read the end of that and it says, from that moment on, Verse 6 of chapter 3, from that moment on, the Pharisees and the Herodians plotted how they can get Jesus. What's wrong with this? I'll tell you what's wrong with this. The scribes and the Pharisees put the priority of rules over the priority of people, relationship. God is not about rules, He's about relationship with people. And the Sabbath wasn't meant to put rules down so that it could block relationship. He said, you've made these things a burden to the people. Jesus said, hey, I'm going to release the people so that they can relate to God. Now, verse 25, let's keep going. Chapter 2, but he said to them, have you never read? Fancy Jesus quoting scripture back to them. I hate it when people quote scripture back to me when I'm trying to make a point. Have you never read what David did when he was in need and hungry? He and those with him, pause for a minute. Who's David in their minds, the greatest king that Israel ever had? Get the picture. Understand the context here. If the greatest king in your history can can meet the needs of himself and people around him on the Sabbath, how much more can the Son of Man, who is the king of kings, come on. He's just kind of building his case. If David, verse 26, went into the house of God in the days of Abathar, the high priest, and he ate the showbread, which is not lawful to eat except for the priest, and also gave some to those who were with him, he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, because of all this, the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. Do you know the significance in Jesus' words here? And not, they're not always recognized by people who don't understand the Old Testament. If you're, if you're not Jewish, you wouldn't understand what Jesus is saying here. This phrase, the Son of Man, is only used by Jesus himself, no other writer in the Bible, only used by Jesus himself to, to identify himself. I am the Son of Man. Now, I don't know about you, you could read that and go, gosh, is he just saying he's a man and nothing else? Uh-uh. Every Orthodox Jew would go, oh! Huh? He's quoting out of Daniel chapter 9, where it says, The Ancient of Days is approached by the Son of Man and given a kingdom and a dominion that knows no end. You know what Jesus is saying by calling himself the Son of Man? Yep, I'm the Messiah. I am the one coexistent with the Ancient of Days. And I am, here it comes, I have come. The reason why I'm talking about this to you guys is there is an inbreaking right now of the kingdom of God because the King is here. That's what he's saying. That's why the gasp, what What are you saying? But he goes further. There's more. He says, I'm Lord of the Sabbath. Uh Uh-oh. What's he saying? I'm the one who created the Sabbath. You know what he's saying by saying, I am, he could be saying, I am Jehovah who made the Sabbath. You know what that means? Co-equal with God. Why did they want to kill Jesus in the end? Blasphemy. You, a mere man, claim to be equal with God. And he's doing it right here. Now, I want to tell you, this would have definitely thrown the proverbial cat among the religious pigeons. Definitely. If the Pharisees didn't like him before this, they certainly don't like him now. And so they conspire to kill him. And Jesus said, I am Lord over the Sabbath and you need to get this revelation. Let me adjust your thinking. You are not here to serve it. I made it to serve you. So that you can live a long, healthy, enjoyable, God-filled life. That's why I made it. It's your benefit. So here's the deal. How are we profited by practicing a rhythm of Sabbath rest? What's it do for us? And Sabbath, by the way, too, isn't just coming to a church service on Sunday. It's far more than that. If you choose to celebrate Sabbath after this and include this, that is fine and that is great and that is a doable thing. But if you choose your Sabbath to be on a Monday or a Saturday or a Friday or whenever you do it, that is also fine because there is a reason for it, not just the timing of it. So the Sabbath serves us first and foremost by taking time to enjoy our creations. I'm only going to give you two. That's about all we can get to today. It's when we take time to stop, step back, and look at all that we've done and go, it's good. It's very good. I don't know if you've ever read Proverbs 8. I'm sure you have. shouldn't say that. Proverbs 8, but it doesn't dawn on you until all of a sudden you get to about the middle part of Proverbs 8. You know he's talking about the creation of wisdom. I was with him, God, from the beginning, and people who... People, it's like apples of gold. It's just—it's a treasure you should seek. But then all of a sudden he says, and when I was with him, and he starts talking about creation. I was with him before the world began. I was with him as he did this, with him as he did this. And I was alongside of him as he's doing this. And I was his delight. Do you hear that? God took pleasure in this thing he created called Wisdom. He enjoyed it. He looked at his creation and said, "Very good." And if you think God didn't have fun when He created, as one writer says, just look at the creation. Look at the platypus. Like, which way does this creature move? What's the front? God laughs. Look at the giraffe. Why such a long neck? Look at yourself. You God, gee, God had fun when He made me. Take time to enjoy your credit. Remember, when God rested from his work, it's not because he was tired and worn out. Oh, my goodness, it took me six days to make all this stuff. Jesus, I need a break. You reckon you could fill in this Sunday? Listen, no, no. His rest was an act of celebration. Very good. And the deal is this. Rest from my normal week, your normal week, should give us the opportunity to stand back and enjoy what we have made. Got it? You can enjoy your family. You made your family. You decided to get married. You decided to have kids. We just took care of grandkids for two days. My Lord, how much work is that? And one of them's just weeks away from being a teenager, and that's even worse. I look at them and go, golly, I didn't make them, you know? What a chore. You guys that still have kids at home, especially teenagers, God love you. Or you can look at it like that. Or you can stand back and enjoy it and say, God, look what we made. Right? Um, we we kind of got convicted when the kids were teenagers. Our kids were teenagers. Don't speak over your kids like, oh, the horrible teens. Oh, the rat bags, Oh, life is with teens in your home. Be careful what you declare. Why don't you celebrate it? God, this is very good. Look what I've created. You step back from your normal work and you you just look at it and you go, this is awesome. And you celebrate what you've done like God and you go, it's very good. G.K. Chesterton, theologian, I won't tell you what denomination because you won't listen. G.K. Chesterton is one of the few who approach God as an artist understood that creation was creative and viewed God as a playwright who had written a good drama messed up by the actors. The universe, listen to this, the universe is not God at work but God at play. Now he's not saying, because it does say on the sixth day God worked, on the seventh day he rested. We know that he worked, but, but in his work he was playing. God is all sufficient. He didn't create everything because he needed it. He created everything because he enjoyed it. So why do you do what you do? Because I need a paycheck or do you enjoy it? It is time to shift jobs and change careers or retire when all of a sudden you're going, man, the only reason I do this is to get the paycheck or to get to the holiday. Get out of it. Because practicing the Sabbath, it helps me to enjoy the work I've done so I don't get consumed by the work I'm doing. Do you hear me on that? When's the last time you stepped back and you looked at what you believe God has gifted you to do and... Called you to do and said, man, this is good. You know, I I used to hear the guys in South Australia, so I'm not incriminating anybody here. Um, I used to hear the guys in South Australia who worked at BHP. Just whinge, whinge, whinge about how horrible the conditions are working there. And they literally said, I love it when I get third shift because when the boss goes walkabout or whatever, I can find a hidey hole and sleep for three hours on the job. I said you ought to be glad I'm not your boss. Yeah, but if we overwork, you know, let us... I said, no, 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 no. That's not diligence. Neither is it gratefulness for the, the gift of work God has given to you. See, I don't want to be consumed by it, but man, I sure should enjoy it. And, and you know, it, it, all of us know the sad story of somebody who is so consumed by their work, climbed the ladder, achieved so much, that Somewhere down the track, they lost their health, they lost their family, they lost their life. Janet and I were uh, at one stage had the opportunity to stay with a family right on the, you could look across and from their home, nice tall home on Sydney Harbor, and you could look across and see the bridge. And I mean, it was right there on the harbor. You could see the Opera House. They had everything that money could buy, everything that your heart would desire materially. We sat down to dinner with this family, with their, I guess their kids were older teen kids. We sat down around the dinner table, the family dinner table. Nobody talked to each other. I think the only reason they were eating together is because we were there. And they wanted to be polite. There was no life together. The husband had climbed the ladder in his career and in his industry and had gotten so high that he was probably in the top three in Australia in this thing, and he had everything money could buy, sent his kids to the best school, but he had no marriage, he had no life, he had no family, but they had everything. And We looked at that and walked away from that and said, I would rather have little and enjoy much than have much and enjoy nothing. Sabbath rest gives us this time to be diligent, to practice this rest of enjoying what we have worked for instead of being dominated by it. I don't know if you've, some of you uh, artists in the room have heard of Pablo Picasso, right? Um, he was wrestling with this thing about work and allowing work to define yourself and finding your life in your work, and he said this. You put more of yourself into your work until one day, you never know exactly which day, it happens, you are your work. Just reflect on that for a minute. How much does it dominate waking hours or wake you in the night? How much does it cause you to do everything you do till all of a sudden you are so defined by it that there's no life without it? Well, I want to tell you, today there's freedom for those of us that have tried to gain life through work. We've got to get this inside of us. And I believe God keeps talking to us about Sabbath rest for this thing, to release us, to enjoy what we've made instead of being consumed by it to do some more. Let me come back to what Simon said earlier. I thought it was great. He got this, texted it to me last night not knowing what I was going to be preaching on, but here's the other point about what the Sabbath serves us with. It's not only to take time to enjoy our creations, but it's to take time to enjoy our God. It's not time off, it's time with. Listen to me. It's not just switching off everything, it's switching on to Him and being with Him. When's the last time you, you, you sat and read and just thought about him, not just what you're reading? Biggest challenge I've got is every time I open the Bible, I think sermon. Because I've been preaching for nearly 40 years. Not, not 40 years straight. I do have some time off. But literally, it is, it, for me, I have to discipline my mind to think and to not think, Oh, that's a good sermon. I better write that point down. And for this reason, I don't combine reading the scriptures with listening to sermons on podcast. When was the last time this became delight, not work? When was the last time it spoke personally to you as if God stepped out of the pages and said, Janet, sweetheart, come here. Just sit with me for a while. When was the last time? Because what happens is, as as I block out time and get to know Him better, I actually get to know myself better. I know that sounds weird, but but spending time with Him and listening to Him and watching Him in action helps me to know what He's built me for, because I'm created in His image. If I want to know about me and what I'm supposed to be like, I got to spend time with Him and look at that mirror. When I look in the mirror of me, it's not a pretty picture. I said to my brother on the phone, last conversation we had, whenever that was, I said, you know, it's, it's, life is cruel because as you get older, your ears and things like that get bigger and the things that should be bigger get smaller. Life is cruel. and You look in the mirror and go, oh, horrible. You look at his mirror where he's reflecting and you go, wonderful. Because I'm not looking at ears, and nose, and eyes, and hair, and eyebrows, and stuff like that. I'm looking at a picture of someone who is perfect in all of his ways. And I actually get to know myself better spending time with him. And when I spend time getting to know him, my faith grows. You know, you know what I find? If, if I fill my hours with tasks to get jobs done and achieve, this is why I don't do, I don't do a list of tasks either. Those of you that do, you're excellent at it, God bless you, but I don't. Because if I go there too much, you know what happens? I learn how to achieve, but I don't learn how to trust, because my trust is in me getting the task done. Now, I'm not saying don't work and don't get your jobs done. Do not hear that. I did not say that. I'm saying for me, if all I do is a task list through the week, and even if my Sabbath is a task list, I don't learn to trust God, I just learn to do something. So here's the deal. My ability to trust him grows when I get to know him. And and I find that he's a father who's never going to abandon me. I find he's a friend who is closer than a brother. I find he's my healer when I'm broken. I find he's my peace when I'm anxious. I find he's my rock when I'm sinking. I know he's my fortress when I'm under attack. I know he's the drink that never leaves me thirsty. I know he's my counselor that gives me guidance. I know he is my encourager that gives me courage. Because I'm with him. And he's like that. And You know, one of the ways to know God and enjoy him better, and this is what we're not good at. You could learn something from the Catholics on this or the Anglicans on this. Meditation. Meditation. What's that? You sit and look at something and you contemplate it. And you look at it from every side like you would a diamond. And all the facets and the edges contemplate it so in other words I look at God and I read about him and I want to know his ways and his works and I think well the greatest psalms for that is Psalm 103 can I encourage you go spend an hour or two just sit still go spend a year and take line by line in Psalms 103 and sit and read it and meditate what's that look like what's that saying about God What's he doing there? It says in verse 7, he made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the children of Israel. What is that saying? Moses had the special privilege of not just knowing what God does, but who he is. Why? He got up on the mountain and spent time with him. He got in You know what presence is translated in the Old Testament, don't you? Face. He got in God's face. Why? I want to know you. I don't want to just know what you do. I want to know you. And it says, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. Stop! Camp! Don't rush to the next verse. Tick the box. I read Psalm 103 like Keith said. Stop! Hang on. He's compassionate. He's gracious. What does that mean? what's What's it say about God? He's slower to get angry with you than he is to love you. He is more reserved about bringing any kind of judgment towards you as he is bringing forgiveness to you. Think about this. He'll not always accuse. Hang on, man. There's voices in my head telling me how I'm not good enough. I'm bad. I don't like those voices. They don't like me. Hang on, man. That's not God. He's not accusing me. He's compassionate. Read this: As far as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His love for you. What? Well, hang on, man. How high is that? Can't be measured. It's just too big to be measured. You know, where do you stop measuring the heavens? You don't. And you sit and you camp on this, and you meditate on it. Don't run through the chapter so you can tick a box and say, "I've done my reading for the day." Camp on it. Ask questions like this: What's this saying about God? About His ways? What's it say about responding to God and me? How can I be like Him? You know, Jesus gives this invitation to rest. I don't know if you've ever read it. Eugene Peterson puts it brilliant. In the message Matthew eleven twenty eight. He asks this question. Are you tired? Worn out? Now, he says this to a people. Remember, Jesus has, he's come to a people that are so burdened with trying to please God through ticking the box in every law and and not keeping it. Let me tell you a ridiculous one. I read this the other day and I thought, how stupid is this? If you're walking through high grass, remember they had kind of robes on, men wore the robes and things like that, on the Sabbath you're walking through grass, remember don't go more than a kilometer, but you're walking through the grass and your robe brushes the heads of the high grass and picks up seed and you walk a bit further and that seed falls on the ground, you are working because you are now planting seed Lord have mercy how could anybody do anything right And Jesus is saying, you've been burned out on religion, come to me Get away with me and, I, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. There's your rhythm. I'm not going to lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me. Hang out with me. Get to know me and you'll learn to live freely. There's freedom. So here's the million dollar question. I got asked this last week. So, I love it when people start a question like that, so, I know, oh, here we go, we're in for a good kind of, so, Pastor Keith, with my busy life, as if you're the only one who has a clock in front of you, anyway, with my busy life, rushing here and there, getting kids off to school, keeping deadlines at work, trying to stay fit, meeting the needs of family, how can I find a clear day to practice this? good. First thing is this. Don't begin with a day. Maybe it's too much. You'll you'll, you'll get discouraged and you'll quit. Don't start with a day because Sabbath is more about a practice than it is about a time or a day. Begin with an hour or two. Set it aside and say, for this hour and this hour, I will will meet with God and I will enjoy life and I will listen to him and nothing will intrude on that hour. If you're going to do it, do it at the same time every week so it becomes a spiritual discipline. By the way, Jesus didn't do away with spiritual disciplines. He lived them. It said, as was his discipline and his custom, he went to the synagogue every Saturday. Okay, this doesn't mean, all right, Sunday morning, 9 30, I'm going to go sit at the beach. No, 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 no. Begin with a time, keep that time, and then just let it grow from there. And in that time, listen, keep the boundaries. Turn the electronic devices off, don't even take them with you. I don't know about you, but every time I try to spend time with God, if the phone doesn't go off, the watch goes off or something. Stay away from devices that are going to distract you, it's an hour or two. I'm amazed, Gary, we go to the gym, we get on the bike. I'm amazed how people cannot go 45 minutes without their phone in their face at some time during that time. It's like, are you the prime minister that you need to be on call during that time? It's like, get a life. It's like, listen, when it gets to that stage, it's called addiction. And It's not just addiction, it becomes intrusion. Put all that stuff away. For heaven's sakes, what did we do before we had all that stuff? We had a little bit more time. I'm amazed that I watch the, the instructors in the gym. The guys that are supposed to be teaching how to do stuff, they're walking around the gym like this. They're surfing Facebook, and they're just walking, walking, walking. It's funny how they know not to miss the thing there. It's almost like they got a blind stick, nin, 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 you know. And like, can you not stop, put it in a pocket or in your locker, and look up at somebody and go, "Good day, how's your day going?" I, I wouldn't hire an instructor to train me who can't put his phone away. Wait, got put the stuff away. These things intrude on your ability to be creative. They block your thinking. Statistics show that when you get distracted from what you are doing, it can take you up to 10 minutes to get refocused at the same level you were focused on. Think about it. Because what you want to do is do things that are creative, that are energetic, that renew you. Do things that cause you to take a deep breath and go, Oh God, this is so good. You are so good. Life is good. Surround yourself with things that cause you to realize who God created you to be and enjoy them. But the best thing you can do right now is this, change the way you think. It starts with a mindset that says, I can do this, I'm not going to write this off immediately. I can, not only I can do this, I must do this. I must spend time with God and with myself, recreating and renewing and refreshing. God gave this to me as a gift. Now what am I doing with this gift? Change your mind about it. Because in our busy, achievement-driven world, with all the things competing for our attention, it's imperative that we start practicing Sabbath rest. And We get this revelation, God gave this to me as a gift, and I'm going to make the most of this gift here and now. Can we just stand? bow our heads and close our eyes so what you're thinking are you kind of now your brain going to the place of no it's all too hard this is a burden or can you really realistically take a deep breath and go wow God you're good Father thank you for this gift give me wisdom how to make it happen because I am committing myself in my thinking and in my soul and in my choosing right here and now. I am making the choice right now to use this gift that you've given to me so that, God, I just know you better and better. Father, I ask that you constantly remind me of the things that distract and the things that draw me to you. God, I want to choose the latter. I want to choose the better. So, Father, I make a decision here and now. I even repent from an attitude that says, I'm not made like this, I don't need this. I repent from an attitude that says, I'm too busy for this, I'm too important for this. God, I just want to shift not only the way I think but the way I live that draws me into your presence to know your ways. If the leader of a nation could go, and go away and be with you for an extended length of time, just simply because he wanted to know you, how much more, God, do I need this? God, there's things you are doing that are new, that you're shifting in our world. And I pray this revelation that you've given today sets us free. Thank you, God, that you made the Sabbath for us, for me. And I want to thank you most of all in Hebrews 4. You said that even that Sabbath was a shadow of the greater Sabbath, the rest that we find in your Son, Jesus.